0: Welcome to Regulated and Relational, the bi monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. Because it's the holidays, we're feeling like reflecting. So, Ginger and Julie have asked Lorraine Schneider from ATN staff to join them in the studio today to talk about all that's happened in 2023 and what we've learned through the episodes of season three. Let's join the fun.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Julie Bean. And I'm Ginger Healy. And we're excited to share with you from both our personal experiences and our professional knowledge what it truly means to be attachment-focused, trauma-informed, and how we can help children impacted by early childhood trauma. This episode happening right here at the holiday times in December is a good time for us to step back and do a little reflection on what season three has looked like. So we have invited in the studio with us today, Lorraine Schneider from our staff. Lorraine does about 40,000 things for us. But <laughs> one of the things that she does really well is edits and produces our podcast So actually, Lorraine probably knows more about what we said during season three than we do at this point, but the three of us are just going to chat a little bit about the episodes that we found interesting and maybe give you some insight as to why we picked topics that we did, mostly because if you've got a few extra moments, quiet, reflective time during the holidays, some of you will not, but some of you might. You might want to catch up on a podcast or two that you've missed, and we have some great ones in season three. So welcome to the
0: studio, Lorraine. Thank you. It's great to be here. And yes, I've listened to every one of your podcasts at least once, and I find that every one of them has some great nuggets that I take from it and apply to life every day.
1: Well, we love having you on this side of the microphone for a change. So, ladies, where do we want to start? Who wants to start talking about a particular episode that you liked or that you found, you know, particularly inspiring?
0: That was so hard. You said pick out the episodes that were inspiring. And I was going through the list and like, oh, that one, that one, that one. Every single one of them Mm. had something. But one that really stood out to me was an interview that you did with jessica Sonarski, the hidden senses that was earlier in the season Mm -hmm. i think it was at the very beginning of the season and april Mm -hmm. yeah that one had a lot of really good information
2: i know you know what i was thinking about that one too lorraine and here's what several things i pulled from that episode but at the very beginning she opens up with 85 To 100% of children in foster care qualify for a disorder of sensory processing, like have sensory processing difficulties. And never in my life have I heard a statistic that strong and that high. That stopped me in my tracks. And I've kind of been thinking about that ever since she brought that up just that high number how important that information is Mm -hmm. if that number is true then what that means in our homes in our classrooms and then what we need to know to help those kids that we don't know which is you know exactly why we have her on and why she speaks at all our conferences we love her but that just right there you know what i mean was a mic drop
1: yes jessica does a great job of bridging The two worlds of ATN, if you will, the world where ATN started in terms of foster families and adoptive families who knew their children were struggling, but didn't quite understand about attachment challenges and trauma challenges. And then also taking that into the schools because she works in both of those populations too. And I think, you know, every time Jessica comes on, it's magic. This one in particular, Mm was incredible because she started with that focus on foster children, but she quickly, you know, was able to tell you all, and it's the way that we see things at ATN too, that it is about the early adversity, the trauma, what the trauma's impact on the brain that creates that sensory challenge for them. And it might be because they lacked the sensory stimulation or they didn't get the right developmental sensory inputs early on due to whatever their adversities were. But you're right, Ginger, the information is so valuable to foster parents, to adoptive parents, to parents whose children have challenges for other reasons. And then, you know, to school teachers, you know, we were just talking before we hit the record button about wiggly little kids who have trouble sitting still in school or church or wherever. And, you know, looking at that through this lens is really important.
2: So I'll tell you a quick story of how that particular episode helped me this year. It's funny because I think in our professional life, when we talk about these things, everything makes sense. But sometimes when you cross over to your personal life, it's not always like, right there in front of you and every Sunday I help out in my church with the little kids and after that episode she talked about her son and she called him kind of a bumper car that would just like bump into walls and bump into people and that one of the things that helped him was chair bands and chewing gum and so at church I had this little boy that I was trying to help and he kept bumping into me and I'm like he's a car and I reached into my purse and pulled out some chewing gum and it kind of was like magic and I realized he needed that sensory input so then I was also kind of trying to give him positive pressure you know like a hug or just showing him how to tap and pat his legs and it just made me laugh that like if I was a therapist in a therapist office, that's exactly what I pre- would prescribe. But for whatever reason, when I crossed over into personal or church, I didn't think to apply it. But it, as soon as I did, it worked. It helped. So
0: it just made me laugh. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. She gave us so many tools that we could use just in our everyday life.
2: The other thing, as I was thinking about Jessica Sinarski, because I feel like that led us into later on in the year talking to connie persick about interoception Mm -hmm. i felt like those two subjects you know the hidden senses interoception connie and jessica also taught us about you know interoception is a hidden sense too and i got so much out of that interview with connie And one of the things that I really pulled away from was that she just kept saying that interoception and, you know, being aware and noticing your sensations and then attributing those sensations to emotional states, like tying the two together is the foundation for self-regulation. And I have been focusing on self-regulation for a very long time, you know, even writing a book about it. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, her saying that to me, like that you have to understand that there's an order and it's that noticing and naming before you navigate the behavior, the problem, the issue, you know, tying all that together. That's the foundation that we always want to jump to. Let's teach a child to regulate. Let's regulate ourselves. But you have to have that foundation first. And so that was really powerful for me to just sit with all of that information that she gave in that podcast.
0: Yeah, she had said that interoception was the foundation for self-regulation and it so is.
1: No, I thought that was great. And I think if you are a listener and you're looking to tie those two together to a third podcast, of course, we later in the season, talk to Allison Morgan about Mm. the vagus nerve. If you're a brain geek, like I am, I mean, you can't help, but want to be curious about what the vagus nerve has to do with all of this. Of course, Allison's also talked a lot about mindfulness approaches and she actually had us practice some of those while we were in the session and her knowledge being an occupational therapist of all of those things is huge. I loved everything
2: she said too. I think the one thing about our podcast in general and as a whole is how information overlaps and builds on each other. You know, it's like this, fluid information that just I don't even know what I'm trying to say it just it's like puzzle pieces all coming together and building on each other when making it more accessible you've said that to me before Lorraine that you really appreciate and I do too when like a complex subject is discussed in a really accessible way that we can digest and that's yeah. powerful for me
0: Well, I think going back to the vagus nerve kind of fits in with what you were just saying, Ginger, because she was talking about an OT has these checklists that you do handwriting practice, but it really all boils down to calming that nerve and being able then to regulate yourself.
2: Yeah. What's the point, right? Why are we learning this and how can we apply it? We don't need to know all the complex neuroscience details of it. We don't have to be neuroscientists. That's not our goal here. It's just, how does this information help us look through a new lens so that we see a child differently and ourselves so that we can respond differently
1: to them? Exactly. And there were other episodes that definitely hit the regulated side of regulated and relational. But I want to talk about a couple of my favorites that were really more on the relational side. I love it when we bring attachment topics to this podcast because we know as the Attachment and Trauma Network that a lot of times attachment is not part of what's being talked about when trauma-informed care is being talked about. And it's so critical because relationships are you know, the cornerstone of all of that. So we did some pretty deep dives. I personally had to do some deep dives. The deepest dive I did all year was around the inner working model concept of attachment theory. I loved it because I had to learn and relearn some of that information in depth. And I hope that we presented it in a way that folks learn something and can connect the dots to the importance of what happens if you don't get that early relational piece and how that really does set you up for some challenges because your inner working model is different and shifted and you are going to have to be aware of that so that you can also work towards helping yourselves with that.
2: I feel like that, That episode on the inner working model, you and I had both read Gaber Mate's The Myth of Normal this year, Mm -hmm. which both of us would agree needs to be on everybody's must read list. It's truly life-changing and it's rich enough that it's just not an easy, quick read. It's taken me months and months to get through it. And I'm glad because I've kind of had to sit with it. But in that episode, one thing that you talked about that took me a while to really digest was that authenticity piece that it's human to tamp down your authenticity in order to choose a connection Mm -hmm. over that because connection has to be that first need it's an innate need it's a biological need we're wired for it but authenticity we need that too. And so how tricky
1: it is to balance those because we really need to be seen in those relationships. That's what makes a relationship cement itself is for you to feel seen. And you can't be seen. If you're not authentic, if you're just going along with the group to stay connected, you can't really
0: get those deeper feelings. It's so very true. That kind of makes me think about the episode on the importance of belonging, because Mm -hmm. that's what that particular episode was all about. It was talking about fitting in versus truly belonging. And something that was said in that episode that really struck me was that true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. True belonging means you can be who you are. Whereas fitting in requires you to change who you really are. We're social creatures and... Love and belonging are one of our crucial needs. The episode on belonging really talked about that and how the feeling of belonging affects everything about us and everything we do. And that's the
2: episode that what really also struck me was how the neurotransmitters in our brain, you know, the dopamine, the endorphin, the oxytocin, mm-hmm. the adrenaline how they mimic those, you know, endorphins that make us feel good. And so when we're trying to numb the pain of not belonging, of separation, of disconnection, how it makes sense that people will gravitate to what feels good and mimics that endorphin feel. And that episode really made me look at everyone, including myself in a different light. It made me have compassion for those that so desperately need connection that they are willing to sacrifice, you know, their physical health and emotional health in order to get that same feeling. And it's biological, right? It's neurophysiological. That was
0: powerful to me, all of that conversation. Yes, that was powerful to me too. And I had never thought about it in that way. And so that was really kind of mind opening to me. I guess how strong the pull to belong really is, and what we will do to feel that feeling.
1: Yeah, and it's powerful stuff. And I actually do love when we do the emotion podcast episodes, we've been grabbing them from Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart for summertime to just sort of do something because, well, first of all, Brene Brown is a hero. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. And it's just a good launching pad to really look at some of these things. The other one that we did is a personal favorite of mine, because this is what I think is at the cornerstone of a lot of the things we need in the society and that's the episode on curiosity that to be curious is so incredibly important and is probably not happening nearly as often as it has happened in the past or at least it's harder to with so much information flowing through so I loved getting an opportunity to just really you know, sink our teeth into curiosity as both a state and a trait, right? I know that we're
2: going to talk about John Balin in a minute, but I think John Balin talked about curiosity and what he said just blew my mind and stuck with me. He said, curiosity is a luxury. Like we need curiosity. The first step in actually being able to be in that higher part of the brain where we can make important decisions is that ability, you know, to be curious. But for someone who has experienced trauma or who is neurodivergent or who has something that has delayed their ability to feel safe then there hasn't been space to be curious because if you're going to be curious, you cannot be distracted. You've really got to mm-hmm. sit with it, right? And explore it. So safety comes before curiosity. That whole concept of thinking about curiosity as a luxury, because we say it all the time. It's in the PACE model that we full-heartedly believe is an essential strategy in therapeutic parenting is the C is curiosity. And we say, you know, get curious, look underneath the behavior, find out what the behavior is communicating. It's true. I still preach that. I fully believe that. But what he's mm-hmm. saying is, You cannot be curious. You cannot have wonder and awe and curiosity until you are safe, until you fully feel safe. And that was really powerful because the other thing that we talk about all the time is the importance of felt safety. So Mm -hmm. those were beautiful, powerful words to me on the importance of safety and the value of curiosity and how healing that concept
1: is. Right. Oh, I agree. I think that for educators, knowing educators, especially ones that are teaching at the upper levels or teaching in the gifted classes, the higher classes, curiosity is something that they do spend a lot of time thinking about how they bring it out in their students, because that's what Causes a student to use all of their executive functioning skills and move forward, you know, in exploring things and going deeper and to really break it back down, you know, and help explain why some children are not as curious as others is really important for us from a trauma informed lens. That it is a luxury. The whole concept of safety and the concept of not feeling like they're connected and in a relationship and not able to regulate themselves. You can't be curious without those things. And so it's interesting to to be able to offer that up to the educators who listen to our podcast as this is another area in which they're impacted. But then also to say that if we're not curious as adults about why a student is responding or reacting in a way that they are, that we're going to be missing a huge piece on how to help them.
0: Curiosity also requires vulnerability because Mm -hmm. you saying that I don't know the answer and I'm going to look for the answer, which goes back to feeling safe. You feel safe to be vulnerable.
1: Mm -hmm. That's so good, Lorraine. Where to next, ladies? There were so many episodes. Anything else that stands out?
0: Yeah. What else you got, Lorraine? I think I kind of talked about mine. Well... One episode that really stuck with me was the school-to-prison pipeline episode, Mm. and Leonard Webb is from my great state of Maryland, so there was a little Mm -hmm. connection there, but I had not given a great in-depth thought about the school-to-prison pipeline and why it happens, and more than just a surface thought about it. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I guess, shocker, it's all about relationships, as is everything, but- Mm -hmm. He really drove it home that that's what it's about. And he said that, let me see if I say this correctly, that underfunded schools lead to overcrowded prisons. He put into words what we already knew. And he also said that the change that we need to make to change this pipeline, he said that it may not be easy, but it's really a pretty simple process. And Mm -hmm. I thought that's true with a lot of things that we talk about in this podcast. Some of these paradigm changes may not be easy, Mm
1: -hmm. but they're really
0: pretty simple when you think about them.
1: They could be done. It's just that we're going to have to figure out how to deconstruct what's already there and focus on simply doing that.
2: I know the thing about everything that Leonard said, what he did for me was kind of helped me get into the minds of, you know, someone who, like, I may not have understood, or maybe I would have judged, right, Mm -hmm. and assumed why they were there, or how they got there, but he really put into perspective, like, oh, no, 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 like, Help me out here, Lorraine, because you had said something before we started recording that he said that students would
0: choose. What he said was that some students would actually choose to steal or deal drugs in order to help their family out and they would end up in prison, but they would feel that it was almost a badge of honor because they had done something good to help their family and that was the price to pay to do what they could do and that was the best that they could do and I had never thought about it like that like why would you ever choose that road and he explained the thought process that goes behind it
2: exactly and that's what I mean like I love that he's really shifting that lens for us of understanding too because he also said something like the predictability is so powerful right that The problem with somebody going into prison is once they have gone in, now they understand it. Now they can predict it. Now it feels safe because they understand the routine and they realize, oh, I can do this. I can handle that, which is really unfortunate because that's not at all where we want to go with it. But it just goes to show how important that structure and routine and predictability is in creating that sense of safety yes right yes. that we have to create it in different ways because we don't want someone to choose prison because of that
1: and we have to completely disrupt the system that you know makes it happen that in order for your family to survive you need to do these things to provide this income to provide you know whatever your family needs As opposed to being able to do something else that isn't, you know, illegal and dangerous and breaking laws, right? Right. Right.
2: Like we're setting these kids up for failure. So that's going back to what he said about really, guys, it's not that complicated what we need to do here. Mm -hmm. We're making it, you know, it's the way things are set up. It's a pipeline because right. of that. And right. so right.
0: it was, that was powerful. Yeah, it was. He talked about, I mean, it goes back to when we were talking about belonging and he talked about the children that did not get the sense of belonging in their life. Often you have that sense of belonging and community and camaraderie in the prison. Mm-hmm. And so while right. there, they're getting that need met and it's a fundamental need. So we need to be sure that they get that need met earlier out in the world, in their homes and in their schools, so that at least that pull is not there for them.
1: It was an incredible spotlight on systemic trauma, on systemic things that lead to long-term trauma and even to generational trauma for families where lots of folks in their family have been incarcerated. And I mean, we need to think about it, think what action we can be taking. That well, we do have one podcast that as we were all going through these and deciding which ones we wanted to talk about, that all three of us agreed we needed to talk about. So we've saved it for last because we got to tell you it might be season three's mind blowing podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, I'm going to tell you it's episode 48 and it's entitled The Power of the Pause. And when I first heard this concept. I was so excited that somebody had put words to what I think is the secret sauce for so much of what we need to do in our relationships and in the ways that we become trauma-informed. Who wants to start? I mean, it just, we love this podcast in particular. I'll dive in. I, (laughs) yeah, this was
2: definitely my favorite for several reasons. I've, read John Balin. I loved his books and his information, but it was my first time hearing his voice and seeing him and interacting with him. And I just fell in love with him. I felt like he was, his whole presence and demeanor was just very regulating, very soothing. He was very kind, very compassionate. I mean, it was very obvious that he was incredibly intelligent that was you know obvious but beyond that that he was applying his knowledge in this absolutely compassionate way like in how he worked I felt like I was in this like one-on-one personal therapy session with him where he was just co-regulating with me and making me feel incredibly brilliant he brought out the best in me like it was just a beautiful conversation that I treasure mm-hmm. on a very like personal, you know, selfish
1: yep. note there. And The same thing was happening for me, Ginger. I mean, I felt like he saw us both and led us to places where we gave examples of times that we had either used this pause to help regain our thinking brains, help regain our responding instead of reacting. But also just, yeah, I mean, he was just so affirming and so affirming of the fact that we can't always get it right, that we're human beings and his labeling this and drawing the attention to how important it is that before we react, we decide we're going to respond and we take that pause, why it works neurologically from a neuroscience standpoint It was enlightening. It was something that I had sort of stumbled on doing in the middle of my daughter getting dysregulated, that she would get so dysregulated that I finally figured out how to do it. But nobody had ever given me the words. Nobody had ever said, well, you're using the pause. You're pausing. You're giving your frontal brain a chance to, you know, decide what your options are here and to get you into a a place where you're going to respond in a different way than you might have if you were responding from a more emotional part of your brain, and it's simple, but it's not simple at the same time. It was just beautiful, and having John come in the studio, Dr. Balin to talk to us about it, I feel like I can call him John because I feel so connected to him yeah <laughs> right was just yeah, I would love to have him come back and talk to us some more, really.
2: We definitely need that. A lot of the things that happen, a lot of the really good things that happen, sometimes happen before we even push the record button. Mm -hmm. I wish we had recorded so many things that we feel lucky enough to have happened that didn't, you know, get recorded. But, you know, he spent a lot of time with us, probably a good half hour, hour before just teaching,
0: just Mm -hmm. talking
2: and teaching to us that we felt we experienced a masterclass. So I do think we ought to have him back because there's so much more to talk about, but Lorraine, I'm monopolizing this. Tell me your thoughts that what you got from his podcast.
0: Well, what I got from his podcast, he was talking primarily about children or mostly traumatized children who are very quick to react, come at it with a snap response. But think about even ourselves If we just take a moment and pause and Mm -hmm. and then react, how empowering that is that we have the ability to control our reaction and how self-regulating that is, that we can do that for ourselves and how co-regulating that must be for our children, either in our homes or in our classrooms, to see us do that and to model that skill. For them. So even though he was coming at it from a traumatized child viewpoint, it applies to every single one of us every single day throughout our lives. And I think that you hit on
2: something really important because one thing that he said was one of the things that makes it harder for us as adults is that we can easily become dysregulated when a child is dysregulated, right? I think we all know that. But what he said was that one of the reasons that that happens is there's this lack of reciprocity. So like as the three of us are talking, when you guys nod your head or when you smile, it validates what I'm speaking and it gives me confidence to keep going that what I'm saying is important and what I'm doing is important. Why that really hit home to me, what he was saying is oftentimes if I'm working with one of my kids and they're dysregulated and it's hard to get on the same page because there's this lack of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. They are not validating and helping me continue to going. I'm having to do that on my own. I'm needing that ability to stop, to pause, and to get myself together so that I respond in a way that helps them. And that was really... Impactful when he said that, that because of that lack of reciprocity, I have to find that within. I have to build that and strengthen that so that I can do that for myself and for my child. And I've been, you know, talking a lot about that regulation cycle that the step one is all about the adult getting soothed and calm and balanced first. It kind of highlighted why it is so hard sometimes Mm -hmm. I mean it gave me more compassion for myself and for that other person that I'm trying to co-regulate and why that pause is critical so I've been sitting with that too that was a really
0: great learning moment for me what he said was his quote was we can upshift our brain by pausing Mm -hmm. I love that upshift your brain
2: Yeah, because the dysregulation downshifts, the child is already downshifted. It can downshift us. So that pause gives us that power to upshift so that we can get them to upshift. That is powerful visualization. I like that.
1: Yeah. Well, it definitely was a favorite of ours and we hope that it is a favorite of yours as a listener And, you know, actually, you can't go wrong with any of these episodes. We hate to brag, but they are all very meaningful. We just scratched the surface of talking about our favorites in season three. And we hope that you all have time to give a listen to one of these that maybe you weren't thinking about revisiting. We will continue season three, clear through early February, and then we'll take a break because we always get really crazy this time of year planning our creating trauma sensitive schools conference our season actually goes through the first part of february and then we take a break and come back in april to give us an opportunity to figure out what the best topics and guests are for season four And we've got some great ideas and some great opportunities and we appreciate you as listeners so please give us feedback. We would love to hear, you know, comments. We'd love for you to reach out to us directly. We'd love for you to leave ratings and comments on Apple or Google or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And we wish you all peace this time of year and a healthy and happy 2024. We'll see you on the other side of the calendar. Bye everybody.
0: This has been another episode of Regulated and Relational. Our next episode is an important one. Ginger and Julie are interviewing Dr. Susan Hopkins of the Merit Center. Dr. Hopkins, along with Dr. Stuart Shanker, will be our Thursday keynotes at our upcoming Creating Trauma Sensitive Schools Conference. A special thanks to Joe Kramer for donating our music. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at www.attachedtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes will be available on our website and through anchor.fm. I'm Lorraine Schneider. Thanks. For-